Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Five Nights at Freddy's, created by Scott Cawthon. Some relevant trigger warnings for this game include child endangerment and death, blood, and gore. And our hosts have ranked this game as pretty scary. If you'd like to learn more about the game discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript of this episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the game in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now let's get on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never <laughs> Hello and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. I am your friendly neighborhood megamoth. This is Emily, and tonight we are doing a very special episode. I have gathered our usual variety of cinephiles and cinebites, but these cinebites have some exceptional talents they are experts to help us wrap our collective brains around this unusual installment in horror media uh we're talking about the video game franchise five nights at freddy's in fact i a person of age is being educated by this group of uh scholars if you will in the uh work the oeuvre that is Five Nights at Freddy's. So without further further ado, here are my guests tonight. First up, we have Quinn Valentine, illustrator, artist extraordinaire. Quinn, can you tell me when you were first into Five Nights at Freddy's? I got into it around high school because it was the most hit latest thing alongside other stuff that was popular in horror for people my age at the time, like Slenderman. Uh-huh. And I think what was appealing to me about Five Nights at Freddy's was the fact that it was a relatively simple game, but also that it was sort of the most accessible horror at the time. So I think that would have been around... I want to say 2015 or 2016. So we've got a few, a little over half a decade. I can't count. Not today. Uh, next, we have Carissa Davis, artist and uh, creator of the webcomic Rising Tides. Carissa, can you tell me when you were first introduced and or into these Five Nights at Freddy's? For me, it was also around high school. I was about, I think I was 17 or 18. And it was when it dropped. You know, it was the hottest thing uh, on the the uh, interwebs for a youth. Uh, it was all the rage, and all the big YouTubers played it. And I loved YouTube and being a, a cool youth. So <laughs> I gleefully awaited the drop of every game afterwards, uh, despite not actually playing it myself because I was a bit of a scaredy cat. So I'd have someone else play it. I also will admit to everybody here right now that I also have not played this game, but we're going to talk about it so you, the listener, do not have to, unless you want to. But first, last but not least, we have our guest, Alia Furness, who, 
as well as an artist and illustrator, has a blog that is Five Nights at Freddy's themed. That would be the Ask Roxanne Wolf blog. Alia, when did you first get into Five Nights at Freddy's? I got into Five Nights at Freddy's way back in elementary school for me. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled on it on YouTube because I got a recommended video and it was just some silly little animation someone made. And I've been hooked to it ever since while also it consistently giving me nightmares. Beautiful. That's our favorite kind of media, the kind that we love to be terrified of. So yeah, um, the game was created by Scott Cawthorn, produced and distributed by Scott Cawthorn, Steelable Studios, Illumix, Click Team, Lionsgate, Scott Games, Maximum Games, and Click Team LLC USA. So we have quite a few companies involved with this series, and I think we'll be getting into the hows, whats, and whys of that in a bit. Before our, our, our full recap of the story of this game, how would each of you explain this game in one sentence? I'm going to start with Quinn. The core concept in everything Five Nights at Freddy's is... What if electronics could be haunted and what would happen if they became haunted? Yes. Alia, how would you describe this game in one set, one or two sentences? Uh, creepy animatronics go boo with lore way too scary to dive into. Carissa, how would you explain? I think I would describe it as lots of child murder that snowballs into convoluted mess of lore and really fun and creative gameplay. Excellent. Quinn, you mentioned what you were into about the game and, and so did you, Alia. But like specifically, what other than the accessibility attracted you to it? Like what kept you there? So for me, this was because I was a budding furry at the time. Bless. But I also had a special interest in robots as a kid. And so this was sort of like a totally new territory I had never knew existed before where we've got these really colorful robots who are a little fucked up, a little weird, and I just kept getting more and more intrigued. And I would say what's kept me around is A, the games always try to do something new every time. And I kind of appreciate that they sort of mix things up without necessarily sticking to the same formula all the time or not sticking to the formula in the same way every time. And although I do like some of the lore, I think actually trying to dig for it yourself is the most interesting to me because it's usually very well hidden. So it's kind of like there's... You know, you're playing what is essentially like a haunted house kind of game, but you can also sort of piece together the gist of what happened there by looking around and finding stuff. Yeah. Alia, what would you add to that? For me, what kind of keeps me around is I like seeing all the art people like to make of these characters. <laughs> I think they're fun interpretations. And I also used to enjoy listening to videos that would try to explain the lore and then having to go back on that and reconstruct it. I okay. always found those entertaining for me. But it's usually what the fandom could come up for the animatronics and all the other characters that kind of kept me interested. Yeah. Carissa. Oh, I think what does it for me is I'm not really into the fandom part of FNAF at all. I 
genuinely just really like the games are just built really interestingly like they're so unique and refreshing to like the genre of horror games like i guess the first thing i can think of is like it was mind-blowing to see a horror game where like the function is you're sitting there and like things are coming at you and you can't run away it's all about surviving the night and you're stationary and like the way that they keep making different ways to sort of set up these really terrifying scenarios like each game adds like this fresh new element that i always like await seeing like how's he gonna follow up that game and he always um, scott always had a way of like creating this these interesting mechanics that i just really appreciated and i really liked how he told the story through each night and just the storytelling is really interesting and subtle and i appreciate it for that cool i mean i've seen references i've seen videos that you guys sent me and stuff and i've heard you guys explain this to me many times before but your wisdom is very valuable because i know that there's a huge number of people out there that just don't know what the hell's going on alia especially thank you alia has provided a um somewhat truncated lore guide uh in terms of a timeline here which i'm going to read for us we have william afton and henry emily is that the name of our characters yep Okay. Uh, William Afton and Henry Emily opened Fred Bear's Diner with Fred Bear and Spring Bonnie being the diner's mascots. We're talking a Chuck E. Cheese situation here. They later opened another restaurant with Freddy, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy, which are also some animatronic mascots. And of course, if you're not familiar with the idea of Chuck E. Cheese, uh, Google it. There's animatronics. They're spooky. They've gotten less spooky over the years. Still kind of upsetting. Uh, an incident at Fred Bear's Diner takes place and the suits can no longer be worn by staff. Um, the suits for the, uh, for the animatronics or what? So the suits are sort of like both animatronic and also a suit. Okay. Basically a performer can go inside of it. The suits specifically have spring locks in them, which gives them the ability to be worn as suits by people. Okay. So they're, they can't get wet. Otherwise, they will lock and end up hurting the person inside. Interesting. I have not heard of this. I've either, you know, you either wear a mascot outfit or you're in animatronics, but this sounds horrifying. I don't know if this is unique to the game, but this is a new bit of fact that is just making me scared. I was going to say Scott comes up with a lot of interesting things that you're going to notice. Oh, cool. All right. There's a lot of games that are not quite in chronological order of the story that come out uh different points along this timeline so we're looking at five nights at freddy's four at this point and then we have uh, sister location which happens next to the timeline i'm looking at this no these notes and i'm probably going to not mention what game happens when at this point because um, that's for the best yeah because there's a lot of them although this information is good for reference later thank you alia so William made animatronics that can be rented out. The animatronics would kidnap kids. William's child, Elizabeth, got too close to Baby, one of the anim animatronics, and got scooped up by the animatronic. William's older child, Michael, was told to investigate to see what happened to her. Other animatronics, Baby, Ballora, um, Freddy, Foxy, FT Freddy. What does FT stand for? Funtime. Funtime Freddy and Funtime Foxy. Very, very good. Thank you. They merged together to make Ennard. And they get Michael scooped away to use his body to pass as human. How does that, how do they 
I can it, vouch for this one. I've played a lot of Sister Location. Now, is Sister Location a different location? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So many. Then Fred Bear's Diner. The layers. Okay. There's many layers. So there's the initial franchise, and then there's sort of when the two main guys that started it separate. And the one who makes the fun time ones is kind of the dangerous guy. Is that what you William Upton, yeah. Okay. Always so Sister Location is underground, where he keeps Baby and Ballora and all of these other fun time animatronics that he are supposed to entertain children. And part of the maintenance of them involves a device called the scoop. Okay. Which essentially scoops the actual robot part inside of it away from the metal shell on the outside. So the animatronics that are there are essentially trapped there and can never leave. They don't like that. They use the scoop to trick a human, which there's a lot of debate on which human it is. Right. Um, but basically they do that to scoop your insides out so they can wear your shell, your skin, in order to be able to leave. Yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. So they are literally taking Michael's... Skin. In skin and putting it on a frame on a on their body. body. On yeah, their body. Body, body. So they look passable enough. It doesn't last very long. Yeah, it says here, uh, you know, they eventually leave this as the body's rotting. Um, One of the funniest goddamn cutscenes. It's really funny. <laughs> it plays this happy little tune as he's just, you know, strutting down the street. And then it keeps playing the replay of that scene where you just see him progressively deteriorating. There are also neighbors out waving at you, and but as you deteriorate, they all become wary of you. Yeah, like they become terrified because they realize you're not a person. I had no idea that this was a thing. Like I just thought you were just trying to avoid some fucked up animatronics. But that's face goes way first. Oh uh, no, that's the beginning. Oh (laughs) shoot! But Michael is still alive after he's been skinned. Yep. Cool. Okay, so William killed Henry's daughter now outside of the sister location and then led kids back there to be killed. Yes, he's the main antagonist. That's the thing that kicks off a lot of things is the five dead children. And so these children possess the, uh, the animatronics now. Yes. Henry's daughter becomes the puppet. Yes. So you learn this in... A couple of different games, but essentially the restaurants had these sort of advanced security robots or security puppets, as they're called, Ah. that are supposed to protect a specific child. And the puppets, the one who's sort of one of the main important dead child, was killed outside of the restaurant and the puppet robot that was assigned to her has to go and find her. And once it does, she's already dead. And that cutscene got to me quite a bit where it's like crawling in the rain Ooh. towards her and then it finally finds her body and just collapses next to her and then they fuse becoming essentially one so this is a this is sort of a describe to me the the security animatronic the puppet animatronics what they look like clown marionette yeah. sort of things they're very distinctively different in design from everything else wow okay I, uh, now I'm getting more and more scared. There are five more murders. 
and the restaurant closes and uh, the toys get scrapped. And then we have another, yet another lo- new location opening. Um, and this is in Five Nights at Freddy's number one. It's the grand reopening of the franchise. And I guess these are all, all the uh, animatronics at this point are haunted. Yes, thoroughly haunted. So we're starting the game in the middle of this story. Yes. With a bunch of haunted animatronics. Awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. After that location closes, William dismantles the animatronics, which releases the children's souls. And then the souls put William into the spring Bonnie suit, which kills him when the spring locks fail, as you were describing how when they gets the suit gets wet and then it, you know, basically kills him by locking him in there. After William's death, we find out that William is actually alive after... Fosbear Fright burns down. Which is which is Fosbear Fright? So that would be game number three. That's one of the ones that changes up the formula a lot, where instead of multiple haunted robots, you have one. And that is William basically forever trapped inside of a robotic rabbit. And that would be Spring, Spring Trap. And Spring that... Trap. That location is unique, too, because I believe that's the one where it's a like an old Fazbear's diner and then they like made it a sort of like a museum horror, like haunted house thing where they got all the old animatronics and were like, they're spooky. So we're going to, you know, we have this scary story attached to them. Oh, we're getting meta now. Yeah, I got a little meta for that one. So that's Fazbear's Fright. Yeah, I also tried to make it as authentic as possible, so... There are some faulty wi- wires and ventilation is your friend. <laughs> it is spring Bonnie is basically found because they're like, we found one, a real one, a real animatronic from one of the original locations. And then you it- get to deal with him. It's so fun. For the rest of the four nights because he wasn't there the first night. So that's just four nights of, well, the, you guess you're, you're there for five nights, but it's only the, the first night's cool and then the rest of them suck. There's yeah, night two is when shit goes down. Yeah, okay. There's always special extra nights as well. Oh, shoot. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that this game was lying to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. All the games have uh, sixth and seventh nights. I mean, I guess that would be a a spoiler. So, you know, five nights at least. Yep, five minimum. The seventh night is usually custom night where you can make them the animatronics as difficult as you want them. All right. So now you're just like playing with them. Yep. So what's the pizza simulator? That's game number six, I believe. And that's one of the ones where they really change everything up. It starts off so cutesy. It's like if you've ever played a restaurant simulator game where you have to run a little kid's restaurant, like run a little virtual Chuck E. Cheese, that's what this is. And then they slowly amp things up and have stuff hidden in there. It's just, it's very entertaining. Yeah, oh, but gotta make sure you don't get sued. It's got like hyper satire of like capitalism and like the you have to avoid the lawsuits, but you also want to buy cheap things because you only have so much money. And but like the cheaper it is, the higher the chance you'll get a lawsuit. It's just- so it's kind of like the the Jurassic Park simulator game. You know, I haven't played it, but yeah, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that one. It's sort of like the newest, hottest location. Okay, now let's backtrack a little bit. So in this game, you are playing the role of a security guard that has to watch the restaurant or whatever at night. 
Yeah, that's it for a number of them, okay. but not all of them. So you have to go, you're in like a control room. Yep, you're in a security room. And you have to go and fix them, or do you have to just make sure that they don't get out? They tell you, you know, just keep an eye on them. You'll totally be fine. And then you immediately know that you're not fine. <laughs> this is why the first one is near and dear to my heart. Because, you know, you start looking around on your different security camera feeds, like camera one and two, and it's all right. at the restaurant. And you're like, okay, there's the animatronics on the stage. They're still there. Okay. And then you come back a couple seconds later and one of them is missing. Okay. Like, Where did they go? And then you see them like standing in the middle of the restaurant, looking up at the camera at you. You see them just about to enter a ventilation shaft and you see them just like progressively getting closer to where you are. And how do you interact with that as the player? There's sort of a number of strategies you have depending on which game you're doing. The first game, you have doors to keep them away from you. Okay. You only have a limited amount of power, so you have to be careful with that. So it's like a puzzle game. A little it, bit, yeah. Yeah, it's very much like you have to learn the tells of every animatronic and like different games have different tells. Like uh, some of my favorites are when sound is a huge element and you have to like be constantly listening for like who's coming this way. Um, but like there's visuals. Some of them, like, it's more reliant on patterns. The characters do have audio cues. However, there are also other noises that will kind of try to muddle that sound. Mm -hmm. I did actually watch a video with this. For the first game, when Freddy becomes active, you can hear him laugh. You'll hear him laugh a total of, like, three times. The third time, he'll be, like, very close to you. But there will be other sounds to distract you so you might not keep track of how many times he's laughed. So you have to keep your ears out, which is a very tense situation. I think one of my favorite sound cues is some of the noises that Chica has made in game. She's the little yellow yes, chicken butt. That says, She's, let's eat or let's party. On yeah. The yep. Yes. Because you'll hear her throwing pots and pans in the kitchen, just making a ruckus. And there's also fun noises she makes sometimes, which are something like uh, Ooh. like a little girl doing that, which is horrible. Bonnie and Chica both kind of like make weird groaning noises. It's not settling. Yeah, like not... Freddy will make circus music sometimes. Sometimes you can hear Foxy hum a little song while he's in the cove. You hear his little feats. Or you can hear him running down the hall to get you. I love him. So... Yeah, real immersive, this game. Yep. Okay, so we have Pizza Simulator, and it is a, apparently a lure for scrapped animatronics. Um, it's burned to the ground to release the souls of the scrapped animatronics. Hooray. And then we have Ultimate Custom Night, which is William's own hell with all his creations. So those two are very directly tied to each other. Pizza Simulator is essentially them trying to get the animatronics that escaped through the stolen skin to come to one's point and their way of doing that is basically make a restaurant right you know have Built other there. animatronics that they would recognize there right and then you lure them all there and you try to burn the place down because you're trying to get a free the kids 
spirits from the robots and that B, make sure that William goes to fucking hell, which he does. Yeah, and that looks like it's its own little game. Yeah, okay. it's not little. It is so complicated. Okay. You have every single previous animatronic that you could control the aggressiveness and intelligence of. You have new ones. You have secrets everywhere that you could get and sort of learn weird little snippets about what's essentially trapping William's soul there forever. But you're now you as the player are saying Will or you're him. Yes. You are now trapped as a night guard forever. Amazing. And they get to torture you forever. It's essentially the kid ghost's revenge. You get to deal with the animatronics. Wow. Yeah. That's so many more than I thought that there were. It's a lot. That's a oh lot. Yeah. God. They really went ham for that one. They really did. Because I know there's like three different Freddies and there's a Mangle and some bunnies. There's at least two bunnies. There's at least three birds. Yeah, there's a lot. Alligator. Yeah. Okay. It's, so, it's a lot. <laughs> there's so many. So William's soul becomes a program that infects beta testers for help wanted is so wacky can i go into it yes <laughs> you will only know this if you read the books if you're insane like i am but one of the know there were books oh there are books well, there are books oh my there God. are so many books i made mention at the bottom of the timeline thing of how i didn't go into that. the books are both directly and indirectly about everything happening in the game franchise. But one of the core mechanics of the world of Freddy's that kind of explains is the idea of remnant versus agony. The idea of remnant is what happens when you, for example, have the murdered soul of a child trapped inside of a robot. If you then melt that robot down, and use the liquid to inject it, molten metal, into a new one, and thus giving that robot life from that soul as a source. Okay, so which is part of why you have multiples, because they're remaking the bodies and injecting the old soul into the new one. And then you have agony, which is a little different, because that's basically where something deeply tragic has happened into a room if there's like a pencil there it has been infected with agony and that's distinguished as being different it's kind of like the shining a little bit a, remnant, a little bit yeah yeah and so part of why i said earlier what if electronics could be haunted i meant to every feasible extent so everything that it involves electronic signals in this situation can be haunted Yes, it can become infected, essentially, including William's essence, because it has now infected the electronics that were part of the suit that he got trapped in. So yes, his soul is now trapped in hell forever, but the suit that he was a part of still has essentially the agony caused by him, and that can now infect things like video games, which is how we get help wanted. Okay. Which is probably the most self-aware game in the whole franchise. Are you playing somebody who's playing a Five Nights at Freddy's survival game? 
you are a beta tester for the Five Nights at Freddy's game. Five Nights at Freddy's as a game franchise exists in the Five Nights at Freddy's universe. So everyone, I want all listeners, I want you to remember it's important to sort your garbage. Make sure that your agony (laughs) and your remnants are separate. Yeah. Make sure to properly dispose of your remnants and cleanse your restaurants of agony before you transfer ownership. Um, I think that this should be in the clause of every property transfer. Let's put it on the ballot. And I think this brings us right up to Security Breach, which I think is the most recent installment. And that's the 80s one. That's all I know is that the characters look 80s and cool. Um, yeah. There's a lot of speculation still because that's the newest one about how it kind of fits into everything. But a couple of key things we sort of know at this point is that there is agony left over in this new sort of mega mall pizza plex. It's essentially a whole mall that's a Five Nights at Freddy's location. Oh, Um, Stranger Things. And it has basically been built quite literally upon the ashes of the previous restaurant. And that's part of why there's problems. Right. I was just going to say, and that's why, again, property transfer, got to have a clause. Need to Uh, have it on the ballot. Yeah, you need to have that. We need to talk about adding this to regulation, zoning, you know, make sure that there's complete transparency when transferring property about the amount of remnant and agony that is involved. Especially Uh, eBay. Yes. This does also affect haunted dolls as they are property until they, although I'm sure some people want them to vote. Five Nights at Freddy's animatronics probably can't vote since when they, they are, should not vote. No, they shouldn't. I'm not going to, I'm not talking about them voting. That's not on the ballot right now. We have enough problems trying to make sure that all of the eligible people can vote. We don't have to talk about haunted animatronics. Okay. I just wanted to say the connection between the VR game basically and the newest one is you learned that the previous beta tester in the VR game, let's call it the essence of William is speaking to her and basically telling her to kill people. Oh, the infection of... Yes, he's literally become a virus that is infecting people. And he wants to do it to as many people as he possibly can. And in some angles, he succeeds because, funnily enough, the night guard that you're running away from in Security Breach is that previous beta tester. She is basically being compelled by William to go there. So this is all, a lot of these details are going to be very important when we start talking about the progressive politics here, because, you know, who these characters are, who they were, who they become, are they men, are they women, are they boys, are they girls, are they non-binary, whatever. I don't know if we have any non-binary representation in this game. Kind of. Rad. Okay. I'm, I'm surprised again. But yeah, so basically this is a game about haunted mascots, haunted animatronics, they kill some kids. The kids haunt the animatronics. Everything and, just snowballs from there. Yeah. Ghosts are in metal. Yeah. And you can distill them. Now, here's a question. Why does William do this? Which part of it? So, yes. Thank you for Good. clarifying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why does William kill children to inhabit electronics? He doesn't know that that's going to happen necessarily. He children, though. uses the mascot to disguise himself to lure children. 
in order to kill them. Oh, because okay. it's Freddy's kids love Freddy's. It's essentially the equivalent of a child murderer disguising himself as Chuck E. Cheese and working at a Chuck E. Cheese in order okay. to lure children in the back to kill them. Yeah. So I have some other suggestions for something to go on the ballot. Maybe. I don't know. That actually leads us to talking points because I think that's more or less, yes, it's convoluted, but you know what? It's Five Nights at Freddy's. But I think the key thing to remember is when Scott made the first game, he had no idea that people would love it as much as they did. He did not have plans for this big, you know, expansive story when he started. Okay. It's a snowball of, of convoluted ghosts. They just keep adding more ghosts. It's right. a lot of ghosts. I know it's a phrase was actually going to be the last game Scott would make because all of his other games flopped. So if the Finite of Freddy's game flopped, then he would just stop making games or at least releasing them to the public. But then that obviously didn't happen and turned into this whole big thing. How, how connected is Scott to the current state of the games? Like he's still connected, but he sort of stepped back from being the main face of it due to some politically related decisions he decided to make with the money that he has been making from this franchise. Can we go into that just real quick? As simply as I could explain it, he made a significant financial donation to Trump's campaign. Okay. And a lot of young queer kids who love Five Nights at Freddy's were understandably very upset about it. Yeah, but we're... The games are still playable. Yes. Or are they? Okay. We're not worried about the problematic quality of spending money on this. He's not the main person making and writing them anymore, but to my understanding, he is still connected in some ways. Probably still getting royalties. Yeah. So he's not been fully unplugged from it. He's still contributing, but he's just not the main maker for any of the games anymore. Now, it's just the, that, has he gone on social media and said stupid shit? Or is it just a donation? He attempted to explain himself when it came out that he had done that. And his response to the backlash was essentially stepping down. Not the worst, but still not great. So that's good to note because like a lot of memes online identify Five Nights at Freddy's as sort of like the queer kid video game starter pack, which yep. was something, especially knowing what I did about Scott, was something that was it kind of befuddled me. Many of you identify those various LGBTQIA plus criteria, I guess. Criteria is not a great word for it, but why do you think that is? I have a couple of theories. Yeah. One being it exposed a lot of really young people to horror mm -hmm. in a way that made horror accessible to them. Like, for me, I had never seen anything designed like Five Nights at Freddy's before I actually sat down and tried to play it. Yeah. But as to why queer kids like it, I think there's a couple of things going on. Number one... The animatronics are actually colorful and they don't have many, like they sort of have personality traits, but not really. So it's sort of easy to kind of project yourself onto them or project whatever qualities you want onto them. 
I think we also notice at that same time, because it was getting a lot of young queer kids into horror is a sudden uptick in queer kids making content. Right. Like for horror. Content. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what drew in a lot of people. Like I know for me, that's what drew me into being interested in the game is I saw this cool fan art being made by other queer kids. And I was like, what is this? I mean, that's honestly, that's how I was introduced to Homestuck back in the day. Now, I yeah. guess the college when I was actually, I think I was out of college by the time I was like, oh, I'm old. Yeah, but, but I don't um, want to talk about convoluted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing too, is that like Homestuck, I kind of get it because of the, you know, the story, it's about the story. But Five Nights at Freddy's, this, the story is a reward for looking into it, really. I do feel like I agree with the, like, the characters are, they have really cool designs and you can, like, very much project, like, you know, they, they don't really give you a lot of defining characteristics for them. And if you want to make fan content for them, it's pretty open-ended. Um, I do feel like a lot of really awesome, like, furry artists do, like, are drawn to them and like to draw them. And furries are, a lot of them are LGBTQ+, plus, so yeah, it's getting mixed in with that stuff and everyone's, like... I don't know, making it extremely gay. The text of the game is not like, it's very neutral and it allows for the fans to go wild. And they did. And I appreciate them for it. It kind of reminds me of the situation with Undertale, where with Undertale, you have a main character that has no defined gender. And like many like RPGs from my youth, like for the Nintendo and stuff, you're a main character you could name you could just project whatever you wanted onto that character. So it became that, you know, it started that sort of immersive quality to the gameplay. Now, Alia, you still do a fan comic. Like I see people posting to your blog and, and like interacting with the characters. What about those characters really, like, is it what you've seen from other fans or things that you identify about those characters that, sings their personalities to you so for security breach which is what i'm mainly drawing for that's the game where some of the animatronics were given slightly more personality mm -hmm. which is why glamrock freddy is like like the dad bear right and he does and he is he is the dad bear <laughs> what is, is that in the game like he's like very supportive and protective yeah, he's your character's protector from the others. Oh, okay. So that's why people kind of just project the dad on him. He's got dad qualities without exactly. necessarily being your dad. Exactly. And so, so this game, unlike the other games, this game actually has the animatronics with, or it presents them with a personality rather than the personality of whatever sad dead child is. Yeah, like they, they can actually talk to you and you can interact with them yeah because i see a lot of fan art and i feel like with the first few games and correct me or add to this as you see fit the first few games you have these characters that are supposed to be cutesy but then their cutesiness like very quickly breaks down first one they're very eerie even when it's like they're nicely lit yeah it's like oh they're so colorful but they look so weird and it's like the closer they get to you the more like decayed and awful they look which is a really clever decision and i think that's one of the things that makes this game so attractive at least the conceit there is something that i could really identify with because i remember 
those old Chuck E. Cheeses when they were still trying to figure out what was cute. The 70s, I mean, I I was born in 1982. I did not witness the 70s with my own eyes, but I did see a lot of the like McDonald's's with their grimaces and the Chuck E. Cheeses and stuff like that. And they were still trying to make it look cute, but also functional. And that uncanny valley is a huge part of the horror of this game and also the fact that as you as you get closer and you identify these monsters closer and closer they lose any what's the word i'm looking for help precept pre pretense right yes thank you yeah so as you get closer to them you lose any pretense of cuteness or friendliness but it really really reeks of like i'm an adult i'm gonna do my best to make something that is attractive to children in order to make money off of them. And I don't have any like genuine desire to entertain children or to understand them. It's just, I want to do have this thing that the kids like and, you know, which is inherently predatory. And then it becomes literally predatory with the guys killing kids. Did any of you have any other uh, specific talking points about the games that you wanted to bring up in terms of, I mean, we could talk about the progressive politics that, or lack thereof or something that like about the games that you just really want to mention in terms of what makes them unique or attractive? Like, I just really love how Scott is able to tell these really interesting stories with so little like the minimalism of you're in a room and there's a set amount of things attacking you and sometimes you'll get like a weird little like pixel arts story but sometimes even just like weird visual elements will show up or like there's like a little bit of audio you get i just really appreciate the games for being able to do so much with so little and especially I was, I guess, going to mention that I love the force the game so much for like the game. Like, I don't think that the designs of the nightmare animatronics are very scary, but it's like a game where you're trapped in the room and you have a flashlight and you're a child. You have to like peek down the hallways to make sure the animatronics aren't coming at you, but you have to listen before you turn on your flashlight or they'll attack you. And like the amount of suspense of just like listening to see if they're there is like this very unique and like horrifying thing. I just really appreciate the games for thinking of these really interesting ways to just entrench you in the world. You don't think the Force games ones are scary? I don't, they're a little bit too hokey. I don't know. They have like, so many sets of teeth. I, it's too many teeth. I think the <laughs> sets are scarier. <laughs> it's, a, I, it's like, they were like, okay, this car needs to go real fast. Let's just keep adding tires. <laughs> like, I don't know. I thought it was horrifying because I was imagining it eats my face with the first set and then like the first half of me with the next set. And then like, by the time it gets to the final jaws, I'm just beef chili. Oh, I mean, you'll be dead like by the first set anyway. <laughs> so I guess you'll be there for the fanfare for the Kid Gras. But people watching, I guess, will be pretty, pretty horrified. It's great because I know you guys are all artists. So you also have like the, the, artist's opinion of these characters because you know alia you draw a lot of the characters as the characters and sometimes they do get into their horror mo modes but they're usually like interacting in with each other in ways that are relatable like the whole ask roxanne wolf blog is really fun because there's so many of those character interactions it's very cartoony and, and you know in a way that the games i don't think 
quite are because they're so busy trying to not die. But the first game especially has a really tacky style to it, which I think kind of helped. It kind of reminds me of how the first big Pixar movie, Toy Story, they were really capitalizing on the fact that computer animation was so good at making things look like plastic. So they're like, okay, why don't we just tell a story about plastic stuff? And uh, I saw, I think, a couple screenshots or videos or something of games that Scott had done before Five Nights at Freddy's, and they were not supposed to be terrifying, but they were very terrifying. I'm getting very emphatic nods from Quinn over here. (laughs) Oh, they're so scary. There was like, it was like just really uncanny like beavers or something that look like they were made in paint but like not in a fun way you know i think that's kind of one of my favorite things about how freddy's came to be is literally people told him that and he was like okay what if i tried to do this on purpose this time yeah that's where he had his success it was very interesting It was, it changed the way we look at horror in the indie genre. They were just so iconic and spooky. And it has now become so big that you get these movies. You got like Willy's Wonderland, which is like, I like to call it One Night at Willy's because it's basically the same concept, but with more characters and stuff like that, where instead of uh, your security guard in one room, it's Nicolas Cage and uh, he's getting soda or something. As artists, I think we all appreciate this kind of decisions, like really leading into something that some people say is a weakness when you're like, no, 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 I'm going to turn this into something that is my signature. So let's talk about progressive stuff. Do we have any characters with identifiable mental illnesses or disorders? Kind of. Like we definitely see... Like depression and trauma touched on quite a bit. I wouldn't say any one specific character, but I would say the idea of trauma sort of affecting and radiating out from a singular event. Yeah. Um, is it touched on? It's the medic. Yeah. In terms of like a specific mental illness, I'm inclined to say no. I would say it's much more vague than that. And they don't, they don't make any efforts to blame William's murderousness on mental illness? No, it's more of just William did it because he's evil and a freak. Yeah. I think the justification is just like, that's William. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he did it, and now all of us are suffering. <laughs> Thanks a lot, William. Yep. Good job. This is your idea of a fun Saturday Night Live invite, and it's not anyone else's. Thank you for dragging us all down with you. Yeah. Yep. So that's good because I know a lot of stories will just try to like push that in there. When he talks about old, don't see that movie. There was a character that was like becoming more and more affected by dementia. And in the movie, they basically blamed his racism on paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. No. No. Um, So I'm glad to know that Five Nights at Freddy's is more progressive than the M. Night Shyamalan film old. Do we have any characters with physical disabilities? Not really. I mean, we sort of have references to like something that 
occurred, like that there's this one sort of very significant event in the Freddy's timeline that's referred to and has been memed to the ends of the earth called the bite of 87. And that's yeah. that in the timeline. You did mention that at the timeline. I didn't yes. know what that was because I, I wanted to move on to the timeline. It's a big market player. Okay, let's talk about yeah. the bite of 87. Where this kid in 83. Oh, it's a different bite? The bite of 87 happened at the second, at, at, in Final Phase 2. Right. Well, anyways, the, he's called the Krang child, right? Mm-hmm. And he's very important because basically he absolutely hated the restaurants because they're terrifying robots who are huge. And his piece of shit younger brother and his piece of shit friends were like, Ooh, we're going to make fun of him by picking him up and putting him into the animatronic's mouth. That would be such a great prank. Which (laughs) crushes his skull and he dies. And that's what people think the fourth game is about is essentially the dying dreams of this child. So in terms of like physical injury in like trying to visually represent a person's rapidly deteriorating mind and memory kind of right but not really <laughs> yeah, that's that's what i was going to mention as well is that i'm like it's kind of but mm-hmm. not directly i would say there there's also the the main one the bite of 87 where where one of the toy animatronics it's speculated to be the mangle who bit the head of a, one of the security guards and the that guy went on to live just without the frontal part of his brain. Okay. He's not he's not mentioned again really or what he's doing, but we just know that he survived it. Don't know when he died. Okay. So we have a lot of tra- themes of trauma and then the uh, representation of deteriorating mental state as a story, which is a really cool as one of my favorite ideas. You know, when I think about how does this story deal with class, you know, I do think about the sort of capitalist predatory quality of the franchise trying to attract children, with it, but not being genuinely involved in, you know, trying to create a community for children. Yeah, um, I would say like capitalism is what the series as a whole has the most to say about. Is our main security guard, is he... Someone who is desperate for work. He, there's a lot of speculation on who he is. Some people think he may be one of the Afton family attempting to get to the bottom of what happened. But he takes the, at the end of the first two games, you get shown a little paycheck. <laughs> it's uh, and it pay is also you. kind of insulting. And it's always <laughs> insulting and it's always so little after, you know, you've risked your life. For, for the several first, nights in a row. For the first game, the pay is $120 a week. A week? A yes. week. How many hours a night? Six. F that S. <laughs> and that, for real. And if you go on to beat the sixth night, they'll give you a raise of 20 cents. I mean, that's pretty fucking real. That's terrifyingly, horrifyingly real. It actually is pretty significant. Yeah. It's the class. <laughs> I feel like that's the main thing Freddy's is like, where they're like, 
people are so obsessed with money and making money off of children and the public because they think they're stupid that they'll go to some pretty horrifying extremes. And the the idea of this part-time worker being so expendable that each night is an ordeal. Yeah. They're paid. So 120, okay, help me with my math because... Man, somebody's calculated this because they also factored in minimum pay at the time of the checks. Right, but I mean... They could say it was a piece of chewing gum and a paperclip. I mean... Because that's essentially what it amounts to. Yeah. But I'm trying to divide that up. So six nights. 20 bucks a night. Yeah, 20 bucks a night. That's horseshit, man. Yep. That's why we need unions. Especially when it comes to fucking Freddy Fosbears. What they really yeah. need a union. <laughs> That's so important. The oh my God. No idea so much could be avoided. I mean, honestly, the kind of shit that our real life fast food and specialty restaurant workers, the shit that they go through, certainly, I mean, I'm sure some of them would consider haunted animatronics as a relief. Because it's an easier situation to deal with than like, oh God, I got to clean everything and make sure everybody's happy and manage this family. Yep. And there's also robots that are constantly glaring at me for some reason and I feel like might kill me if we were left alone in the room. Yeah. But at least like if it was just killer robots, then you're like, okay, <laughs> you know I've got, threats. yeah, I've got, what have I got? I've got, got, I got fire, maybe? I sadly cannot do either of those to customers that are screaming at me. Yeah. I just cannot there. lock them out. I wish I could just shut the door sometimes. <laughs> Alas. Yeah. They, you cannot bite them. But you know what? Sometimes they can bite you. They shouldn't, they should. but they can. But they can. And you just have to deal with it. Well, let's so. see. Uh, the game's comedy comes from like these very satirical, ridiculous, like hyper capitalist moves kind of like the even just like the spring trap like suits because it's like oh we shove the employees in them and if it gets wet sometimes yes they might die ah uh, yes don't worry about it <laughs> and uh it's like a gross like it's like an animatronic suit it's like hot and then it's like you're not supposed to get it wet i <laughs> seems like it's kind of kind of talk about that in sister location because it gets like amped up from there well, I mean, it's already upsetting when you have a very glitchy, life-threatening suit that you're in that you have to wear at a restaurant that is full of soda fountains. And children. Yes. And children who want to come up and see the animatronic that is charming. I just remember that employees would also have to be careful with breathing while in the spring lock suits because your breath also affects the locks that's literally one of the mini games i forgot about sister location is you have to make sure the locks don't kill you yep you while breathe. while other little ballerina things are crawling all around the suit and can get you at any moment my favorite parts of those games are the fact that you're being made to do all of these maintenance things that you are definitely not qualified for and are absolutely not being paid enough for and like the AI narrator who have, tries to help you always tells you the wrong thing to do. Oh, shit. The voice will tell you, you need to move, you need to move fast while you're in Ballora's room. A baby will tell you, no, don't do that. Be quiet. Move slowly. She's listening for you. 
So if you have to pull through it, you just die. Lovely. My God. I think about this and I think about the number of people who have worked at theme parks and the amount of labor. You know, we all should think about that, especially if we go to theme parks. I don't go to theme parks because it scares the shit out of me. But it's a lot happening at once, just overwhelming for me. And especially regarding this class situation, the dichotomy of listening to what your superiors tell you in this game, the AI, and then listening to what your fellow coworkers tell you, you know, or the ghosts of children that have died in the haunted house. So I think we've got a lot of class discussion. And a lot of this game is about class. Let's talk about feminism. Is this game feminist? Are there any female, who are the female characters? I know that there are female characters. There are a number of ghost girls, Chica being one of them. There's a couple of significant girl characters who are kind of in the background until you start kind of dissecting things. I would say sort of the main girls of the animatronics are Baby. Baby's actually had quite a lengthy involvement since she was first introduced and sometimes some people consider her more dangerous than William in some ways. Earlier, Alia, you said that Baby is the one who tells you what to do that's correct. Yeah, it's, I think in a way she's also trying to gain your trust. So on like the final night, I think she leads you to the scooping room because you're trusting her word because she has legitimately helped you. But if you were to go somewhere else that you can do in the game, you can kind of hear faintly, why, why didn't you trust, why don't you trust me or something like that along yeah. those lines. Yeah, she literally is manipulating you so she can steal your skin. Okay. <laughs> and it's so, like, on one hand, slightly valid because she's literally trapped there and can never leave. But on the other hand, the things she wants to do once she's out are not valid. Now, is she, uh, she's a ghost of a girl. Trapped inside of a robot. Inside yes. of a robot, okay. She looks like a little sort of clown slash ballerina kind of girl it's more of the clown aesthetic yeah she's got she's clown core also apparently she's seven feet tall yeah she's the blueprints dang god you don't learn about how terrifying she is until the vr game where you have to hide from her she is huge they're also meant to be big enough so that they can hold a child in them yep Right, because they actually have kids in there. Yep, because they're experimenting with paranormal science. Unethical <laughs> paranormal science. Obviously, yeah. So baby's sort of innocent looking. It's sort of like an innocent... It, it's not a voluptuous clown creature. No, very, no. very much uh, innocent clown. Chica, who also is very innocent and like baby looking. Because Chica's like a little chick bird. She's one of the original kids that gets murdered by William. She doesn't really get like a personality until later. Um, I would say Baby is sort of one of the first female characters that gets the most personality because she's directly interacting with you. And is it obvious? I mean, it's obvious that she is female. Yes. She's distinctly a little girl. Awesome. Possibly the dead daughter of William. And then we have Roxanne Wolf. Yeah, she's another one who gets more distinctly has more personality. Yeah, and she, but she's a little bit more of a of a femme fatale kind of character. Yeah, I guess that's kind of an accurate way to describe her. So this is 
a lot of animatronics and animatronic characters that are various levels of aggressive towards you, the player. As a player, is your gender ever identified? Yes. In like a lot of them typically like, oh God, who's like Mike Schmidt is the first guy I think. And like, you know, like the check has a name, like you're usually playing a character sometimes trying to think of if there's a situation where it's not kind of clear who you're playing. And I feel like in four, you know that you're a kid, but beyond that, you don't know a huge amount from the game itself. Yeah. If you look into the lore, it's somewhat more clear you're the Bidem 83 kid probably, but beyond that, you're just a child. I think from what you see in Final Fantasy Four, you know that the kid's a little boy because it, it is kind of clear between girls and boys because it's in 8-bit. That's true. That's true. That is yeah. the newest DLC where it looks like you are actually going to play a little girl character instead of a young boy. Yeah, for Security Breach. Okay. Yeah, that's a change. So now we have full playability for the PC. I mean, you mentioned earlier there are some characters that are arguably non-binary. Yeah, that's specifically Funtime Foxy's gender changes a couple of times across games. And when asked for clarity, Scott said that since you guys think they're gender fluid, then just they're gender fluid. I also know that for the mangle from FNAF 2, its gender was never really defined. Scott's referred to it as he, she, and it. Yeah. So people just run with whatever gender that they want for the mangle. So they can say mangle is a girl or a boy or they're gender fluid or non-binary. So Bangle, from what I remember, mostly presents as like a bunch of wires with like hands and stuff. Yeah, Mangle was, was like an attempt at a new Foxy that but, failed. Funtime Foxy is like a pink and white fox with a cute little bow tie and like very luscious eyelashes. Has hey. stick and also has nail polish. But also has in the... Ultimate Castanite has like a very deep masculine voice. A lot of the a lot of the characters do talk in Ultimate Castanite. So, the, but and this is a, a a discrete game, or is this like extra content for the game? You get to hear the animatronics talk. Depending on who gets you, they get you, and you'll hear one of their lines. Never get yeah. killed by Mister Hippo, though. Okay, yeah, they taunt you. Interesting. Well, that's a cool dynamic because then you can actually get Lorba from. Yeah, you actually get to hear them, some of them, for the very first time. Do we have any characters of color in this? Yeah, like, that one, I'm like, ooh. That one. Uh, really? Not any core characters, that, as far as we know. Yeah. As far as human characters, they're usually white, unless, it's, unless we're talking about Michael, then he's literally purple. That is true. We do have purple representation. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> that doctor uh, post skin stealing is, but also he's his color is purple, or is represented by purple. Okay. Petition for the rotting flesh. Mm-hmm. So do we think that he was white once? Uh, probably. He, probably. He originally was. Yeah. Okay. Him walking down the street, he was originally white, but then turned purple. So not much to say in terms of uh, racism, unfortunately. Do you recommend this game? Do you recommend playing it? Or do you just recommend going through the the playthroughs or just look at the fan art? I feel like you have to have a very specific tolerance level 
to get through the games, mainly the early ones. One of the core mechanics of a lot of them for a long time has been if you don't pay attention and you miss a cue, you get punished with a jump scare that involves an ear-splitting scream sometimes. So Characters also don't move the same way in every time. Yes. Maybe Mm -hmm. they start out the same, but one character could be in the in like the back room but the next time they could be in the kitchen it's all just ran it's random and luck can sometimes hate you mm-hmm. yeah ah. so if you you don't like jump scares that involve screamers i would suggest avoiding the initial games but if you think you can tolerate that I would highly recommend the first game, if only just to experience a little bit of it because of how much it changed how horror games worked from that point forward. Right. I mean, same here. It could be fun to play, Uh but if you're not into that or you wouldn't want to be bombarded with screaming animatronics, then I would also, I would just opt for playthroughs. I am fully in the camp of if you can't handle the game i highly suggest watching some some playthroughs it's a really they're just really fun games and they're very unique and i loved experiencing them i watched them as they came out and i watched them recently again it's personally i i don't know if i had the i would personally have the fortitude to get through all the modes of of the game and find all the secrets personally because it's it's rough out there but um, I appreciate all the wonderful people on YouTube who have, and I get to experience the story, you know, with them. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely worth a watch. It's, they're just really wonderful little games. That's awesome. And it's, I mean, I have experienced the games through you all. I would recommend playing the game, even though I haven't, just because it sounds like a really cool immersive experience. And, you know, there's some, the themes of child murder are challenging uh to say the least so you know watch out for that so for anybody who's interested in the five nights at freddy's franchise and they're looking for something new and possibly adjacent what would you recommend i would say ones that are directly adjacent would be the book series but i would also say the there's sort of a new up-and-coming analog horror series i say new new ish Uh uh-huh uh, called Harmony and Horror, Ooh. which sort of goes with the children's entertainment, animatronics, and also like children's toys being haunted or possessed idea, but it goes at it from a very different angle. So that's Harmony and Horror? Yes. Carissa, do you have any recommendations? I do. This has put me in a bit of a nostalgic mood, so I'm going to suggest something that I played long ago and desire deeply to play again. I would suggest the game Eve, which is a little indie horror game. It was like a little pixel art game where you're a, a small child and sort of this young adult guy who gets trapped in a like parallel dimension in an art gallery and monsters and stuff. And these like wacky paintings are trying to kill you. Uh, and it's a great time. Sounds sounds like a real blast right there. <laughs> I I love that game. But yeah, that one's that's it's an older game, but it's real small and it's real fun. Awesome. So that's Eve or Ebe? It's I B Ebe. 
Oh, IB. Oh, that's cool. IB. As a former international baccalaureate student, I totally feel terror whenever I see those two letters together. Alia. So what Five Nights at Phrase taught me is I like listening to videos that analyze the story. Yes. There's kind of a new, I think, new game that kind of has the same deal where there's a hidden story underneath it all. It is slightly more obvious than Five Nights at Freddy's where you have to have multiple games to piece it together. Right. But it's called Andy's Apple Farm where the basic story is, without getting too deep into it, is you're a beta tester for a game and you have a bunch of different characters that if you do a certain thing, you will essentially kind of break the game and get some more or less creepier versions of these characters and there's also something to do with souls oh, so okay no spoilers it's a little hint so if you're interested to dig into that that's what i recommend awesome so that is say the name of that one again andy's apple farm andy's apple farm awesome for me i i mentioned willie's wonderland if you want to get that the idea of finance of freddy's but not quite as good as the immersive quality of finance of freddy's you know, and see with Nicolas Cage. Find it on streaming. If you're looking for good horror games, I find Fatal Frame is one of my favorites. It's a, an old PlayStation game. I think there's a whole bunch of new versions of it. I think I've talked about it before, but that one involves ghost photography. So check that out if you can. And of course, check out the artwork of our wonderful guests, especially Alia's Ask Roxanne Wolf at Tumblr.com. Where else can we find you? online, Alia. I run a YouTube channel called Dragon Fox June, where I just post silly animations when I'm motivated. Awesome. That's so many more animations than I've ever done in my life. So please check those out. I've seen them. I've, it's mind, it's mind boggling. It's so awesome. The stuff on there. Quinn, where can people find you online? I am satan's underscore fluffer on instagram and in the bio there you can find the link tree to everywhere else you can find me i awesome. will hopefully be soon launching my podcast on the history of specific demons oh yeah i'm looking i'm so looking forward to that listeners if you were here for our episode about Nightbreed, when they talk about baphomet it's actually i think it's aggressively horrified there's a little episode where i talk about baphomet i learned that from quinn so quinn taught me about the story of it's not baphomet it's baphomet because baphomet i yes you may i just made that up just now i'm, I'm really sorry carissa where can we find you online and your webcomic, Rising Tides. I am Hearthfire2 on Twitter and Instagram. And I, you can either look up Rising Tides or my other comic, My Champion, on Tapas and find it. Or I'm also Hearthfire on Tapas as well. Awesome. And you have a Patreon too, right? I do very much have a Patreon. Is that Hearthfire? I do actually think that I am Carissa Davis on there. Okay, Carissa Davis on patreon oh, but your your other your like instagram and stuff like that have the links to it yeah especially on tapas oh yeah it's definitely got one tapas yeah so check that out and of course i'm megamoth on twitter mega underscore moth on instagram megamoth on patreon on tumblr also megamoth and 
megamoth.net if you want to see a version of my website frozen in time from 10 years ago. It's like a time machine. It's pretty cool. And as for the rest of, of the uh, crew here at Progressively Horrified, you can find us at Prog Horror Pod on Twitter, Progressively Horrified at Transistor.fm, and check us out on Patreon. We also have Patreon, and find us wherever fine podcasts are streamed, your Spotify, your Apple, your whatever else they have, Stitcher. I don't know half of these things anymore. This is why I need people to explain to me video games. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Smash that that rate and subscribe button. Rate us good so people can find us and uh, listen to our mad ramblings about these very important media franchises. Thank you, Alia, Quinn, and Carissa for joining me and making me smarter. I do actually feel smarter and I do feel like I can keep up a conversation about this with people both young and old, as the curiosity waxes about Five Nights at Freddy's. And thank you to all of you listeners out there for listening. And as always, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Emily along with special guests Quinn, Carissa, and Alia. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the game makers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon, and you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. So you never know when that agony or those remnants are going to be involved in your property. So uh, before the resale, got to check that out. See you later. <laughs>